0: The Colorado Business Roundtable unapologetically tells the story that business is a force for good in our community, featuring conversations with thought leaders from academia, business, community, and government. Welcome to A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today at this episode of A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown. And I'm Debbie Brown, president of Colorado Business Roundtable. And we are always excited to bring together thought leaders from academia, business, community, and government, under an aligned mission that business is a force for good here in Colorado. Today, I'm excited to welcome Lynn Granger. She is the regional director for API, which is American Petroleum Institute for the Midwest and Mountain West region. Welcome Lynn.
1: Thanks for having me, Debbie. Always great to chat with you.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited. Uh, you're a board member of Colorado Business Roundtable. We've worked together for years in varying capacities and I don't know that we've had you on recently, but as you know, I think there's one industry in Colorado. I mean there's several, but I I'm very very passionate about our oil and natural gas industry here in Colorado and a big defender as I know you are for everything that this industry brings to the table. So I'm excited about our conversation today. Me too. So to kick us off, I want to um I've got a wonderful bio in front of me and I certainly know a little bit about your path. Uh, even the Cherry Creek connection, which I think is kind of fun. Tell us more about your story, personally and professionally. How did you end up in this position today? Sure. Well, I will. It's a it was a long road,
1: so I'll try to shorten it as best I can. Um, but I am a native. Well, I moved here when I was nine, but I consider myself a native. Hopefully, natives don't get offended by that. Um, so very young, grew up in Colorado. N- natives don't think that you're a native, by the yeah. way. But <laughs> True. I always try to get away with it. Went to Cherry Creek High School, you know, decided right out of the gate that I was very interested in communications. Took a couple courses at Metro, some night classes while I was a senior at Creek and and just really loved it and um, decided kind of on a whim. I don't have a military family necessarily to join the U.S. Army right out of high school. Um So I, you know, made that jump. It was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, which I'm always proud of 18 year old me for making that decision and jumped right into the army. I was a broadcast journalist on active duty and so I was a radio DJ in South Korea. Um, did a lot of public affairs, you know, communications, media relations, uh, print journalism. I was the editor for a newspaper for a little while. And so just was able to get a ton of really amazing experience in the communications field and in the military, um, which led me to live in Germany for almost a decade um, as a strategic communications manager um, and advisor to the three-star general in charge of US Army Europe. Uh, which was an unbelievable experience, and I'm, um, you know, really honored to have served alongside the folks that I did in the Army. It means that experience means a ton to me, um, but it also just gave me incredible opportunities, um, you know, to spend. I visited 32 countries. I spent a lot of time in Ukraine, which I want to talk about a little bit later as well, um, I had my uh, oldest son in South Korea, my middle son in Germany, and then finally my youngest son right back here in Colorado. And so when an opportunity uh, to move back to this great state presented itself, I uh, moved back here. I worked for the state for a little bit as a communications director um, and then moved over to Colorado Concern, um focusing on kind of broader business policy issues in the state and then this position uh, at the American Petroleum Institute uh, became available, and um, I jumped at the opportunity. Uh, it was I don't have an oil and gas background, so it was a really huge learning curve for me, uh, but it's been an incredible ride. I'm incredibly proud to represent this indus- industry here in the state. It's very important um, on a number of levels, and that's kind of the down and dirty of how I got here very quickly.
0: <laughs> well, and it's almost like what you said, quite a story coming from the suburbs of, you know, Denver Metro, right? And, and joining the military right out of high school. Really a wonderful story and, um, and your path. And I just want to thank you for your service to start off. And probably it helps with the work you do now because of your broad based experience in. Geopolitical threats, understanding the economy from sort of a military lens too, from, from early on in your career probably gives you an interesting perspective.
1: It really does. And that's why I was interested in this role was exactly that. My experience with national security, um, you know, serving in Germany, having been to countries like Ukraine where, um, you know, unfortunately they are dependent on other nations for their energy sources, um, really was very interesting to me and made me think, you know, if I, that's the type of work I would like to do is I want to be at home talking to people here about the importance of that and how scary it is when we unfortunately do not have that opportunity and the abundant resources that we are fortunate to have here in the United
0: States. Right. It's, it's kind of reminds me of the phrase context is key, right? Context on this, this issue And with that, I want to pivot a little bit to have before we get into more specific questions. Lynn, I love that context is such an important part of the conversation, especially as we look at geopolitical changes and threats that are coming. Um, Tell me a little bit about how has the natural gas and oil industry been navigating challenges here at home, regulatory changes, public perception, and what strategies have been effective in maintaining this kind of growth and sustainability? So
1: I'd like to start, you know, uh API annually does kind of a state of American energy event, which is really great where we talk about what what does the energy landscape look like um in the United States, but also beyond. And I just, if I could sum it up, I would say, you know, the state of the oil and natural gas industry right now is in demand. We provided nearly three quarters of all of the energy that Americans used in 2022. I would also say that 85% of Americans want reliable U.S. energy and they want it Produced right here, and they don't want to. They don't want to rely on foreign sources for energy. So I think that's super important. However, when I say that the state of our industry right is in demand, the policies and the and the conversation that we're hearing both at the federal level, at the state level, and even here at the local level in Colorado um, does not support that demand. It does not support us continuing to meet the supply that fuels our world. And so I think. You know, what we are trying to do at API is really get back to having a rational conversation about what our energy future looks like. And what that looks like is the world is growing, right? There will be 20% more people on this earth in 2050 than there are today. And that's going to require a lot more energy than we are using today. And it has got to be an all of the above energy solution. It cannot be a none of the below. We should be adding energy sources not taking away from them so that we can meet the demands that will continue to be there. Um, and I think it's been, again, very unfortunate that we have not been able to have necessarily rational conversations about what our energy future looks like, what is in the realm of possibility. We also haven't been able to have this conversation about the United States in celebrating our wins as a nation in our CO2 emissions reductions and everything that we have come to the table and done um, in order to continually meet the demand while also protecting the environment and reducing emissions. And so that's been a definite uh, focus for API and a definite focus for myself, both in Colorado and in the states that I that I oversee.
0: Well, Lynn, I think that's so important. You know, you and I have worked on this issue uh, in the past together, and it was interesting to take people out it, particularly policymakers who had never actually been on a site to see what oil, oil and natural gas production looks like in, in real terms and the technology and the advancements and how specific, uh, you know, these specific companies are using an all of the above approach with their technology enhancements. But, when I think about what you said too about getting people together, having rational conversations, we just recently pulled together a group for our view from the top event every year, and, and I was so honored that Kim McHugh, the new market president of Chevron, was on on the stage with the governor, asking tough questions. You know, leaning in to how do we celebrate what's happening in Colorado? How do we celebrate what's happening here as a leader, not only in the country but a leader in the world? I'd love for you to give some some thoughts on that, that it was a rational conversation. The governor actually praised uh, the industry for being ahead of targets on what they're trying to accomplish. So would love your thoughts on that. I feel like people forget that Colorado really is a leader on so many of these issues.
1: Well, first of all, Debbie, one, Kim is just such an incredible asset. i um, really excited to have her here in Colorado. She's just great for industry in general, but obviously Chevron is very lucky to have her. And I'm so excited that she happened to be on the stage uh, with the governor and was, was very sorry to miss that event, but I think that you really hit it. And I'm glad that she asked the question is, you know, when do we get to a point where we get to celebrate those wins? You know, we go through a very robust process here in Colorado, um, both at the legislature and in our rulemaking processes. And I think industry has tried very hard to come to the table, to listen to all stakeholder concerns, to really address issues um, and, you know, come to some sort of compromise that, um, that makes sense, where we can continue to produce the energy that we all need and use every day while also protecting the environment. And I think in Colorado, we don't have to choose between those things. We've done a really, really great job of having our cake and eating it too. And I think we should absolutely celebrate that.
0: Are you seeing as we're in the legislative session right now? Are you, and, and again, it's funny. These issues aren't necessarily just the legislative session. There's ballot issues. There's rulemaking. Are you seeing opportunities for people coming together, opportunities for consensus on some of these bigger issues?
1: We do, you know, we, we really ourselves and um, you know, we've had a few rulemakings in the last couple of years where we've been able to come to, you know, a compromise proposal or some sort of consensus with, you know, various environmental groups that are also parties to, to rulemakings. So makings it doesn't happen every time, but it happens sometimes. And I think that we're really proud of that. I think, um, you know, going back to what I said before, unfortunately, the conversation, it tends to get a uh, pretty irrational at times. And I think um, we see that with, you know, different bills that are being introduced at the legislature. We see that with uh, various ballot initiatives that we have seen in past years in Colorado and that we, you know, might see this year as well. Um, That again, they they don't make a lot of sense. They're not very feasible. And at the end of the day, um, they're not going to do much in the way of Reducing actual emissions, protecting the environment while also keeping costs low for consumers and providing the energy that we need to use every day. And so it's been, it's been tricky and we've been trying to navigate that. And again, we've had some wins, but it's, it is incredibly challenging.
0: Well, and it used to be, I think when I first started looking at this industry, you know, the term NIMBY, which stands for not in my backyard was always the thing. We want energy but nobody wants it directly impacting, you know, their life, which, you know, you could, it could make sense. Uh Similarly, I would think agriculture has that struggle there. There might be certain industries that have that sort of NIMBY issue. You and I were talking about maybe there's another saying nowadays instead of NIMBY. Yes, Debbie, we were just
1: talking about that. And actually our uh, API president and CEO Mike Summers likes to say that NIMBY has been replaced with banana, which is build absolutely nothing anywhere near anyone. And I think not just our industry is facing that, I think a number of industries are running into a lot of challenges and hurdles that weren't previously there. Um, You know, building any new infrastructure or adding to existing infrastructure um, has been a real challenge for a number of folks to include renewables. Um, You know, I, if you keep up with that news, there's a ton of Um, Opposition to solar farms and wind farms and different things um, as well, and so it's it's not just directed at our industry; it's it's across the board. And I think we that's an issue that we really need to solve going forward in order, again, to make sure that we all have the energy that we need.
0: Yeah, I I agree, and I'll just make one more comment, and then I'm going to shift gears. But I think um, it always surprises me that people think some of these companies, like we've talked about Chevron and others, BP. BPX, Oxy, you know, that they only want oil and gas and they've got a tunnel vision. And the and the truth is what they're creating in terms of renewables and technology over here and technology over here, you know, it's just, I'm not trying to do an ad for them, but um, they're invested in everything, everything that works for energy and the next thing that works for energy. So um, I just, I think it's fun to help tell that story because it's not, um, I think the public perception is just inaccurate. Oh,
1: absolutely. You know, one of our members actually owns the largest uh solar farm in the nation, which isn't too far from here. I mean, it's they're very diverse there, and it's exciting, you know, to your point you said you had the chance to tour, you know, a number of, of facilities um, you know, a while back. It's always so interesting to me. I've only been I will be in this position 5 years in May. And the differences between going out and seeing the technology when I first took this role five years ago, and then I was just out over this past summer. In that short amount of time, the technology is it would blow your mind um, how how quickly it changes. And I think it's exciting to talk about, you know, carbon capture and storage and, and possible utilization and hydrogen and geothermal and just all of these different Energy sources and opportunities. And I think our members are just ex- as excited to have those conversations as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, count me in for a tour if you have an extra ticket on, on an upcoming tour. I do think it would probably blow my mind. It's been, a, it's been a while since I've done that. But Lynn, shifting gear, tell us a little bit about, I know you have a couple initiatives or some new things popping up with API. Would love to hear about um, what initiatives you're pushing that talks a little bit more about the industry in general around creating jobs, um, generating tax revenue for our country, you know, what are what are you all focused on big picture? So big picture, I think I would love to talk a little bit about, we've got a, a Lights On
1: campaign, which was um, debuted again at our State of American Energy event that we do every year in Janu- January. And that really focuses on, you know, just providing, I think we get away and everybody sort of takes for granted, right? Flipping your light switch or going to the gas station and all of these things, I think, for our industry, we really want to get back to basics and provide a lot of education and just information and connecting the dots for folks about how how do you actually get your energy and where does that come from? And, you know, when you flip your light switch, what has to happen in order for that light to actually come on? And so I think our Lights On campaign just wants to really shed light on the facts of the energy industry. And I mentioned before that, you know, it's it's been challenging and having some um conversations that you know are a bit irrational and not feasible and i think we want to we want to get to the to the facts we want to get back to basics and just really educate folks um around our industry so we're very excited about that campaign that's coming up and i think also just more locally when we talk about colorado i think it's really important you know when you say you know, NIMBY, we need we need oil and gas, just I don't want it here. I think folks, you know, don't always necessarily think of Colorado as an oil and gas state. But we bounce between probably fifth and seventh on any given month in oil and natural gas production in the state of Colorado, which I think shocks a lot of people. I think people probably, oh, we produce a little bit here, but not a big deal. And I just don't want it to happen here. But actually, it is a very big deal. Um, and we we do produce a lot of oil and natural gas to help meet the demand, but also to help with our national security and our energy security. And if we don't produce it here in Colorado, it's going to come from overseas and we want to keep it right here at home. And, and why wouldn't we want it to happen in Colorado where we have the, the strictest, safest regulations in the nation, I, I would argue the world. Um, so if we want, if we care about the environment, we want to, you know, lower emissions, this is where we need to be producing Colorado energy right here in Colorado at home. Um, and so I think all of those things, we really want to make sure that, you know, folks understand the dynamics there um, and understand the importance of continuing to produce.
0: Yeah, well said, Lynn, um, Shifting gears to Lynn, I just want to say thank you for accepting the appointment of becoming the new chair of our policy pillar around community for the Colorado Business Roundtable. This is a pillar that really focuses on issues that aren't necessarily in one bucket on like tax and regulatory or, but really some of those sort of wraparound issues that affect business. Um, We also in this committee, you know, talk a lot about the impact of business as a force for good, all the things that business does and how we can lean in with resources. Uh, You know, we've already talked a little bit about tax revenue, but philanthropic dollars and people and resources and thought leadership. Give us some thoughts on what your priority areas are based on feedback from Colorado Business Roundtable members for this year. I know we've talked about safety as one of the as the top issue. Would love your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to get more involved. I'm really excited about chairing this committee for the Business Roundtable. It's incredibly important. And I think the business community does a really great job of, one, you know, talking about all of the philanthropic um, activity that um, businesses contribute uh, to communities, which is very important. But also, I wanted to look through kind of a different lens and talk about the public safety issue, because that is a big topic that has come up, I think, pretty regularly in Colorado. And I'm thinking more specifically um, during the Denver uh, mayoral race last spring, where I think that was a definite number one issue. It was a number one um, topic of debate for all of the candidates. And I know for Mayor Mike Johnston, it's been a priority of his since he took office. And I think, you know, the business community, Likes to be involved and likes to support, um, and, and donate and give dollars and all of those things, which is amazing. But I also think they, they worry about not only their employees, but their customers and their communities, which they live and work in as well. And a big issue is that public safety issue. I think there's the homelessness issue. And so I really want to dig a little bit deeper there with the business roundtable and the business community in general and see where there are opportunities for us to get more involved and find solutions to that issue this
0: fall. Yeah, and, and you mentioned it being top of mind even last spring. I know it was top of mind when our board got together this fall, and it had never been the number one issue and this year, it really was the number one issue. So I'm seeing some really good, I think, positive changes going on in, this, in the cities and in the counties and the state. But I am on the same page as you. It's an area where business needs to lean in more. Oh, absolutely. Hey, Lynn, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. I'm going to end today with a couple lightning round questions that I don't think are on your radar. So yep. we're going to see how you do. But okay. this is kind of fun. And I'm compiling some of these from different people that I interview. So the first one is, what is your favorite powerhouse, lunch, or happy hour location? Ooh, that's a great question.
1: Um, it currently, Ocean Prime and DTC. Oh my gosh, that's
0: one of mine. And I don't think I see you there that much. No. We haven't overlapped. Yeah. And I love that. And then what is uh, your favorite binge? It could be a Netflix series, a podcast, something that you've just got to keep up with. Three boys at home. Maybe maybe there's no like time for that. Like talk to you in 10 years. It'd be the answer. Fighty and his
1: amazing friends an option. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh I, that's it could be. I'm glad that's not my world anymore, but that's good for you. I
1: have to say I don't have anything after succession ended, I was mm. a huge fan and definitely I w- I got to the train late though, and so I was happy because I had to catch up on all of the seasons. I didn't start right away, and so I think my husband and I watched all of the seasons and like Six months or something, and so that was a lot of fun, but I't any news since that one ended
0: that's good that's good well, um, and last question what's the best advice you'd give to someone if they want to have a seat at the table, your best advice for how you got where you are?
1: I would say just take every opportunity that's presented to you, whether big or small um you know, I think that's I raise my hand for everything, so going back to like <laughs> literally raising my hand to join the U.S. Army, but every opportunity I raise my hand for. And I think, um, you know, don't be afraid to get out there. You never know where an opportunity will take you again, big or small. And so get out there, raise your hand, network, and just jump at any opportunity that is afforded to you.
0: Yeah, great advice. It's good advice for me to reflect on as well. So thank you, Lynn. All right. Well, thanks, uh, Lynn Granger with API. I appreciate you being here and Thanks for all the work you do, not only for Colorado, but around the country.
1: Really appreciate it. Always love to chat with you and thanks for all the great work at Business Roundtable. Um, Business is a
0: force for good and it's so great that you amplify that message every day. Yeah, Thank you. And thanks everyone for joining us. This has been A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown and we'll see you next time. A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown is a production of the Colorado Business Roundtable. You can find this episode, a listing of our upcoming events, and more information about our organization at cobrt.com.